0: we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. War is afoot. I am to inherit the iron thread. She will block my way.
1: Hello and welcome back to Still Watching, the television podcast from Vanity Fair. We cover entire seasons of the hottest shows of television and right now we are diving deep into the hottest one of them all, House of the Dragon, the Game of Thrones prequel series on HBO. I'm Josh Wigler and to discuss House of the Dragon episode 4 with me today while Richard Lawson remains away on assignment, I am joined by Vanity Fair awards and audio editor Katie Rich. Katie, welcome to Westeros.
0: Hi, Josh. I feel like I've been uh, lurking behind the scenes um, somewhere behind your Iron Throne this whole season, and now I get to emerge into the light.
1: There are a lot of secret passageways, as we are coming to learn, uh, <laughs> with true. which to lurk on
0: podcast conversations, I guess. Uh, I have some questions about those secret passageways. We'll get there.
1: Well, unfortunately, I also have questions, so I don't know how <laughs> how, how well I'm going to be able to answer any of them. But yeah, lots of secret tunnels and hallways and rooms And they're loud doors, too. I have a lot of questions about Sir Kristen Cole's hearing. Uh, I feel like maybe he should have heard some of the uh, some of the noise that's happening here in this episode in he's King of the Narrow be, Sea, episode he's four. He's supposed to be
0: the good knight here, and yet uh, some major flaws in his skills. Well, this could be
1: an issue, Katie, is that Kristen was uh, he was brought into the King's Guard specifically because he had combat experience, whereas the rest of these would be knights uh, did not have that level of combat experience. Is it possible that his hearing was impacted uh, during some good of these point. wars? Yeah. Those
0: swords and shields clanging together are very loud. We very loud
1: clanging, it. yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, <laughs> so we're gonna recap episode four, King of the Narrow Sea, today. Uh, yet uh, another really eventful episode of the show. Uh, one I'm really excited to get into from the book perspective. We were talking offline before before we started this, Katie, that I think that there's there's some stuff that happens in this one that is somebody who read Fire and Blood, the George R. R. Martin book that this show is based on. I was anticipating, quasi-dreading how some of this was going to, to happen on the show. I think you can tell people as many times as you want that this is the Targaryen show. Expect some degree of Targaryen-on-Targaryen <laughs> <on> Targaryen <laughs> romance to occur. Um, but I was really, really curious slash nervous to see how it was going to play out on screen. There's some book deviations here for sure, and that's kind of baked into the text in, into the text to begin with. I'm curious, Katie, just to get your take on this episode, but also just how House of the Dragon is rolling out so far for you.
0: Yeah, I definitely have not forgotten the moment in our first episode or maybe even the preview where, you know, you tell Richard, like, yeah, there might be something else going on between uh, them other than a niece and uncle, typical relationship. Um, And I think they've been setting that up to the point that when you see them wandering into this... um, very dimly lit brothel alley area. You're like, oh, I I see what this is all been yeah. leading toward. We're Game of Thrones um,
1: now. Yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. But also, like, I feel like one of the things that struck me about this episode is a lot of stuff I don't think would have happened in Game of Thrones. I think the way that the sex was handled is something we should really talk about and how yep. it's different from it. But just the world of the small folk in King's Landing and what we see from them. Like, I just don't remember that kind of texture being in original Game of Thrones. And maybe I'm not remembering it as well. I didn't get to rewatch anything, but. I really liked how much of this episode just felt different, like its own show.
1: Well, I think that the closest comp that I could I could give and we're, we're jumping ahead. We'll go through it scene by scene for sure. But I think about um, I thought a lot about Arya Stark in this episode, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Rainier going literally they're calling her boy, uh, very yeah. reminiscent of Arya's journey in the, the latest stages of season one and, and so much of the rest of her story through the show. But she's really the character that re- re- really readily comes to mind for me as somebody who ever has eyes on these kinds of situations. So many of the other characters on Game of Thrones, and even here, of course, on, on House of the Dragon, are the most powerful of powerful elites. You know, either you are um on the Iron Throne or really Iron Throne adjacent, or you come from a great noble house like House Stark. And I think that the ability to to live in King's Landing with everybody else and to go to Flea Bottom and go to the 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 Street of Silk and and all of the stuff that we do get to see in this episode there just weren't those opportunities in in a major way on Game of Thrones, and I really enjoyed luxuriating in that. Luxuriating is the wrong word, but I really, <laughs> no, I really it enjoyed. Is there. I really enjoyed spending time there for sure in this one.
0: Yeah, yeah, I just I. I... As we were going through it, I kind of didn't know what was going to happen next, even though I kind of did. And I was so intrigued to see all of this new stuff.
1: Um, so, of course, uh, we've got feedback this week as well. We always want to be hearing from you out there in still watching listener land. You can write in, still watching pod at gmail.com. I wanted to bring this one in early, Katie. Uh, we'd gotten an email from, from Jason who had a lot to say about the, the age disparity between Allison and Viserys and everything that's going on there. We're definitely going to be getting into that as we go through the recap. One note from Jason that I that I thought was really relevant to this episode specifically. Uh, Jason said that overall I think the show is excellent. I don't understand this expectation that every single episode is going to be hard home or the long night or the battle of the bastards. It makes no sense to have nonstop action in every single scene of every single episode. And I hope that's not going to be a complaint on all of the different podcasts going forward, <laughs> of which there are many House of the Dragon podcasts, guilty as Indeed. charged. Um Katie, this is a I don't know if you want to call this a a slower episode, but it's certainly more character centric, right? Last week, we got this huge eight minute sweeping battle at the end of Second of His Name. This is not that. Uh, This is this is, you know, battles of a different variety are being uh, uh, waged here in week four of House of the Dragon. Did you feel any sort of um, noticeable change in quality with the change of pace? Are you one of the people who is watching House of the Dragon waiting for things to just explode in fire and blood in every single scene?
0: I mean, I really liked the the crab battle. I don't know what what are we calling it. Is there is there a technical name for last week's it's, battle it's, scene? It
1: was the War of the Stepstones. Um, okay. I think right. uh, the Crab better. Defeater. I don't know. <laughs> um, Hillary wasn't <laughs> loving the pun, so I'm trying to hold it back this time oh, around
0: <laughs> for sh- for shame. <laughs> yes. No, I really like the character aspect of it. Like, I like how these relationships got really complicated. I think with, with Viserys and Damon and then Viserys and Otto as the episode gets to its end. We're getting to a point where we know these characters enough so it's not just like, this is Viserys, he likes Otto, or this is Viserys, he and his brother don't like each other. There's shades to these relationships now, and especially with Rhaenyra and Alicent, um, I think that really develops here. Um, And so getting to spend time with these characters, even like Sir Criston who, you know, has just been kind of like the hunky knight this whole time, like he kind of grows as a character. Um, And I get that, you know, you go into the show for the dragons, there are dragons in this episode, Um, but I think you need that, especially for like a show that's kind of grow up and we're going to swap out our young actors at some point in the near future. Um, I think we really needed this time to spend with them and watch them grow a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think so as well. Um, So we have a lot to focus on with all of the various progressions for all of the various characters on this show. We're going to do that scene by scene on the other side of this quick break. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget
0: Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade.
1: The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterized the early years of Black Twitter to the social movements, the voices, and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large.
0: Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th.
1: Apple card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. This, I know, is something that is very exciting for the deep cut Westerosi uh, nerds. (laughs) We got to check out Storm's End, and this is the seat of House Baratheon, and we have never been here before. Uh, this oh, is,
0: that's why there were all those furs. Oh, it's, okay, it was
1: it was really cool to to go and hang out in uh in the the place that Bobby B is going to call his home for so much of his <laughs> life before going on to King's Landing. Um, I was really excited about this. This was a surprise to me. A lot of what we're seeing here at the start of this episode is. Rainier is on the tour, right? You know, she's going around to see all of the different suitors that her father is lining up for her. He has said, You get to pick. But I guess the caveat of that was, You get to pick among the crop of people that I am throwing your way.
0: Among <laughs> the, like, the, not the dregs of society yet, but uh, no one's super promising in that lineup, I don't think. <laughs>
1: I mean, it's a it's a pretty wide age range. You have, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, the old man and the young boy. I
0: guess we should be grateful that no two year olds were thrust forward here, Katie. Uh, yeah, that's, that's true. We've already crossed that line. Two year old brothers are half brothers for that mm-hmm. matter.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, you know,
0: that kid uh, who winds up in the sword fight at the end, he's going places like, I, you know, don't marry him yet, but I keep your eye on him.
1: Maybe not. Um, This was this was something I mean, fun is a very weird word to use when applying to two children fighting each other with swords <laughs> and one of them goring <laughs> the other. Uh, But it, it was fun for me because this is this is a little piece that is taken out of fire and blood. So I, I think that. Oh, the way that this was conveyed, Katie, was uh, I think that they selected one scene to be representative of this year long tour, essentially, uh, that Rhaenyra embarks on to go and see all these people that that might be suitable for her as um, as her as her match. Uh, and in the book, uh, you you get to this moment where she goes to the Trident, a, a different region here than the Stormlands. And uh, Martin writes, the sons of Lord Bracken and Lord Blackwood fought a duel over her. And that's Ah. the sentence. That's it. Um, And this was like the thing that I feel like Ryan Condal and Miguel Sapochnik and the rest of the people behind season one, at least of House of the Dragon, like that's a great passage. Let's adapt that and turn it into a moment. And it turns into this really horrific moment where this boy who is being publicly mocked by this kid off the side just yeah. engages in this sword fight with this guy, and um, it's another uh, Baratheon stab in the belly.
0: Yeah. But it's also like it could have been turned into this like whole huge joust scene like what we had in the in the first episode. And I kind of like that. It's like she's just like, I'm out of here. I'm walking away from this. It's, it's nice texture in the world without having to take up a ton of time.
1: Well, I thought what was interesting about it, too, is that um, it does play as, you know, there's there's the clanging of the swords that uh, Kristen Cole probably can't even hear that's happening <laughs> in the background just past his shoulder and we're not being, um, you know, treated to really viewing that to, to your point until yeah. the final note, until things have just escalated to this horrific level where this this poor kid who was, you know, being pretty terrible a few minutes earlier, but still, this is horrible to watch him just on his back coughing yeah. up blood, and we're gone. And I think the fact that the camera's not really lingering on it too too much, and that Rhaenyra herself. Doesn't even seem to, you know, uh, doesn't even seem to really be talking about it too much. Does not afterwards. care. Could not care less. I think it's like a little bit of so this is the impact of what happens because, you know, I am uh, I am in this seat of power and I'm this highly coveted person because of my station. She has this line later in the episode of uh, I'm I'm paraphrasing, but I'd like a night off from being the princess. Just one night, yeah. one night to be free from the burden of my responsibility. But I think that the way that plays in in this scene where she's just like, get me out of the bloody room. Uh, I, thought, uh, I thought, I thought, I thought was really thematic. I thought it was really, really good.
0: Well, and I think they're doing a good job of having some characters remind her that she's being a little bit of a baby about all this. Like, oh, poor you, you get to choose a husband. Like, not everyone gets that right. Not everyone lives in a palace. But you still feel for her. Like, obviously, she doesn't just she doesn't want to get married off. Um, but I like that they're striking a balance there of, of being aware that she's in this very privileged position for this world.
1: Um, so when we when we get to our next scene, she is on um she's on the on the water, sailing back to King's Landing. We're going to hear through this episode that this has been, you know, quite the process. It seems like yet another big time jump has occurred between episodes. Katie, it's about a year since we last left House of the Dragon. How are you feeling about flying through time? It's a big, big topic of conversation these days with what's going on on House of the Dragon.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, the the. Time jumps don't bother me too much. It doesn't feel like too much has changed each time. I was curious where Sir Kristen says there's only two months left and I wasn't clear on two months of what? Like, is there a deadline for her to pick a husband at this point?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't I don't know. Maybe it could be. It could be that King Viserys like, okay, you can pick whoever you want. It's got to be from this group and you have until X date. I um, mean, you
0: got to give a deadline to get someone to make a decision. Sometimes I am like, a very
1: deadline-driven person myself, so I totally <laughs> understand it. Um, so as she is sailing in, and she's wondering, is she gonna, you know, is she gonna run into a very enraged version of her father when she gets home because of how she's rejecting all of these suitors? We're gonna see that um, King Viserys, at the very least, for the short term, is going to have uh, a bigger issue to contend with as Daemon Targaryen makes his triumphant return to King's Landing flying on Caraxes and just uh, making a whole dramatic to do about it.
0: So it's been a year since he won this whole battle, but they haven't seen him since then.
1: Right. So he has been um, if it's going based on the book and the fact that he walks into the throne room in the very next scene and he is wearing, um, you know, this crown that he has and how he has been anointed. He's the titular king of the narrow sea uh, Mm -hmm. and that he has been um, he has been given that honorific at the, you know, uh, at the site of his war. Um, in the in the book, the, the conflict is still kind of playing out. The fact that the crab feeder was handled doesn't mean that it's all completely over. He sure. spends some time there still and is sort of ruling over his little fiefdom here. It's like a very uh, shoddily run little kingdom that he has built out here in the Stepstones feels Like they're yada yadaing past a lot of that for Damon. They're yada yadaing through a decent amount of Damon's story in this episode, actually. Hmm. Um, and this was one of the ways where it felt like, yeah, maybe I guess he's been there for a year. He's been, he says that they've um, they've nailed 2,000 dead triarchy corsairs to the stakes. To the sure sand. did.
0: they sure did say that. That's
1: gonna take a year. I feel like <laughs> that's a, a lot of hammering to be done. 2,000 people feels like a year yep. sounds about right to me.
0: Yep. He also had time for that uh, chic haircut, uh, mm-hmm. which I think might be the best indication of the passage of time. Um, I'm a fan of the haircut.
1: I imagine it's because he had so much crab feeder guts in his hair that they had to shave him all the way. <laughs> uh, that
0: was, he, I mean, he had pink hair at the end of the last episode. So yeah, uh, you yeah. have to start over again.
1: Might be why he needed the year. He needed like a respectable level of hair to grow back uh, <laughs> before he could show back up. Um, yeah, yeah, but he comes back. He's got you know a little bit of a different swagger, and I think when he walks into the throne room, everyone is very nervous here. Uh, yes. No one really knows that this is going to go very famously. Damon and Viserys have fallen out. Um, certainly, all of Viserys' advisors know this. You imagine that a lot of the gossip has been, "Oh gosh, this guy!" Uh, and when he shows up wearing this crown, there is sort of the everybody's holding their breath in the room. He eventually, yeah, you're takes waiting for a name. war to
0: break out, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So
0: OK. So, yeah. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. But like, I really didn't expect him to take the knee like nothing up to this point made me think that he was going to just like immediately go in. So I'm curious if like I miss something or if this really is just like a twist that he's bringing to Viserys.
1: No, I think that he I, I think that Viserys and Damon, they haven't interacted. Last that they did, Viserys wrote this note to Damon saying, I'm going to send you 2000 people to help you out. And Damon says, yep. OK, no, I'm going to do this myself and then I'm going to nail 2000 people to, to the sand. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um so I think the fact that they're you know that was the response uh, essentially and they have not communicated, it seems, in the time since then. So I think Viserys is on edge, rightfully so. All of the people who are in his ear are on edge about Damon as well. The only small council member who is kind of Team Damon was the sea snake, and he's gone and he yeah, hasn't come he's back. Gone. Yep. Um so I think like there is this question of well, what's he gonna do? This is an unannounced arrival, that's from the book as well. Uh, in the book, he, he flies back, Damon uh, on Caraxes, and just flutters around the, the Torny grounds of King's Landing three times in the air, just being very dramatic about his, mm-hmm. uh, his return to, to King's Landing. So it plays out similarly here as well, I think, just this question of what are Damon's intentions. But he takes the crown off, he surrenders it, and I think character-wise... I know how I I feel about when Damon is talking about I'm in it for the family I, I I care about you Viserys you kind of suck as a king and I want to look out for you <laughs> Does that um Are are you reading that at surface level Are you reading that as you know kind of authentic truth from this character or are you I don't feeling, think we can right yeah. I
0: mean especially after what comes later in the episode where I think you kind of see what his plan is and it involves Renera Um right You know I I you know you see later him and Viserys really getting along they have this party and I. I really liked seeing that. You see Viserys so happy and he's never happy. And like, you get that they're brothers and like they have a relationship there. So I don't think he's like actively trying to like wish Viserys ill will, but it does seem like a calculated move above all.
1: Yeah. Uh, we get to that feast and second episode in a row where Viserys is just getting bombed. Katie, like this yeah, is, man.
0: he's bored. He's a King. He didn't have much to do. Uh, he's,
1: he's bored. He doesn't have a ton going on. I did notice, uh, on this time. Cause I'm, I'm being, I'm trying to be very sensitive to this now, Katie, cause I missed it on the first pass. I feel like I should have seen the, the green screen fingers
0: <laughs> I know back
1: in episode three. Uh, so I did notice that the two fingers that are supposed to be gone from Viserys, uh, the, are, are flapping in his gloves as he's clasping his brother on the back. Um, That's and yeah,
0: some tough CG work. Listen, credit to the people who make that possible.
1: It's hard. It's hard stuff, and I think they're on deadline as well. So yeah, seriously, I can imagine that they are uh, they are sweating bullets over there uh, making this show. So Viserys is he's thrilled to see Daemon. It seems like, um, but he's being very dismissive, not just of uh, of Rhaenyra, also to Alicent. It seems like um yeah. allison is wanting to show Damon some of like the new artistry around king's landing since he's been gone viserys just laughs in her face essentially yeah
0: no um, no not nice don't do no, that no
1: no and then rainera says well i would love to check that out that would be fun and viserys says, just go anytime uh you get the sense that he is he is once again uh not exactly thrilled with rainera
0: yeah yeah well and he's just so fo- so focused on i mean I get the sense that he's just like genuinely happy to have Damon back, right? Like he he doesn't seem to have a, a whole secondary plot going on with Damon, right?
1: No, not at the moment. Uh, I mean, I think that Viserys is a little Viserys. Certainly, for me, I don't feel like this is a huge book spoiler. He's a little bit more of a take him as he shows himself, right? You know, I think that he is <laughs> he is a character who's not really hiding who he is, and the show isn't really hiding who Viserys is. He is somebody who wants to do right. And is he doing right is another question. And is yeah. he good at this? You know, is this one thing that Damon has rightly clocked about his It's Like I love my brother. The worst thing about him is he's a terrible king. Um, you know, I think yeah. that there's a lot of that energy with, with Viserys right now. And right now I don't think that any level of Damon has ulterior motives here is at all on his mind.
0: Yep. Yeah. Poor guy. Well, yeah. He's made his bed,
1: uh, but we've got some good news because it seems like uh, the the growing conflict between Rhaenyra and Allison. they have uh, been on the outs with each other for many years at this point. It's been about four years now at this point. Katie, they're they're back. Rhaenyra and Alicent together again.
0: I mean, they should be allies, right? Like, obviously, a lot has happened uh, between the two of them. But, like, Allison's stuck in this castle. Rainier doesn't want to be stuck in a t- castle. Kind of very insensitively says, like, who wants to just be stuck pumping out airs? And Allison's like, uh... Okay, that's me. That's, that's Hi. literally what I'm up to. Hi at um, me. Yeah. I, and yeah, I mean, this, um, you know, moment of honesty together isn't going to last very long, as we know from later in the episode. But right. it definitely, it feels like these these two are natural allies. They needed to get it together. In,
1: in um, we got some feedback on the Alicent front. This was from Grace, who who wrote, and I felt like it was good to bring in now. Um, Grace had written in and said, I noticed something in the first episode that makes me think that Alicent may be older than Rhaenyra as she is in the books. Um, we've talked about this a little bit on the on the podcast as well, that this is one of the big changes for the show. Allison has been aged to closer to Rhaenyra's age. In the book, she's about a decade older. Um, Grace continues, she says, When the two friends are talking about the history of Nymeria, the whole scene read to me as a tutoring session. It just seemed like Allison was testing her on this knowledge and making her study. Regardless of whether she's 10 years older than Rainier is, uh, as in the books, this is still troubl- troubling, but it gives me some hope that it's maybe not quite as bad as we think. Viserys still doesn't pass the Leo DiCaprio test, uh, since she couldn't be more than twenty five if his daughter is fifteen. Um, so that was from from Grace. I'm still kind of personally reading it as Rainier and Allison are closer in in age. I don't know if you had any uh, strong strong takes here for yourself. Yeah, I can Gabe. see,
0: I can see. I mean, you know, when you're a teenager, the difference between seventeen and eighteen can be really big. So I could see it being about that much. But I do think as especially as you get Later in the episode, you see Rhaenyra having her night of freedom while Allison is stuck in the tower. I think you you are meant to see them as pretty much equals um, and look at their different situations that way.
1: Yeah, I think that this scene specifically when Rhaenyra and Allison are are talking in, in a way that they have not talked to each other in a very long time, it feels like. I think it sets up all of that midsection of the episode so well. Um, yeah. You know, this idea of like, Rhaenyra, you've got the freedom to choose. I am just stuck in the tower. This is my life. Um, yeah. And I think just the, the vibrancy of King's Landing as we're going through it with Damon and Rhaenyra, contrasted to when we do cut back to Alicent, she's, you know, pouring herself a cup of wine. And that's basically the scene. You know, she yep. is lighting a candle in yep. her very dark quarters. That's the scene. Um, you know, you even contrast it with the Pleasure House. It's really brutal, the contrast. Uh, so I think that this scene is doing a lot of work of trying to ground us, the viewer, in what is life like for the princess and the queen.
0: Yeah, and what could Rhaenyra's life become like if yeah. she, you know, winds, well, when when she winds up marrying, she kind of doesn't have a choice on that right.
1: front, right? Um, Rainier and Daemon get some time together here, Katie. Uh, All that High
0: Valyrian flirting. I my know goodness. Yeah. Are you feeling okay about the High Valyrian flirting between the Targaryens? <laughs> Should we
1: just start talking about this now?
0: I mean, I kind of like that they have this like fancy language that they speak together. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess like, I don't want to come down like pro incest between an uncle and a niece because there's obviously lots of problems with it. But like those two actors together you get why they like each other. Yeah. Um, you know, they get along. They have like similar goals. They learn how to speak this language. Um, I, I like that as a point of connection between them.
1: Yeah. The other week I was having a conversation uh, and uh, the idea of that that um, Lord Strong, uh, the master of laws, pitches Viserys on, you should have Rhaenyra marry Laenor Valerian. We'll, we'll do mm-hmm. what we didn't do. You know, what I told you to do a few years ago. We can heal this rift between uh, between our between your family and the Sea Snakes family. Uh, and that conversation was like, well, they are cousins. Um, but in Westeros, that kind of feels like a coup. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, that feels like a big upgrade. Um, yeah. th- this episode is showing uh, a little bit of a closer connection and and what this might look like. And I, I feel like this has been I think that the, the show has been doing a lot of work to sort of set the deck for this. Uh, yes. You know, whether yeah. or not it's going to be palatable is another question but I think everybody is watching House of the Dragon and they're just waiting for the moments that happen in this episode to happen between Rhaenyra and Daemon.
0: Yeah, I'm very curious about, I mean, we're recording this before the episode airs, so I, I'm curious to see the response. Um, mm-hmm. and to, but yeah, to me, like knowing what I do about Game of Thrones and the world of Westeros, which is not really even that much, like this feels like, oh yeah, this is what would happen. If a 14 year old is going to get married, then yes. I would rather this than like Viserys have married um, that little girl from a couple right. episodes ago. Like that felt way worse.
1: Right, for sure. Um, it's been four years since they've seen each other is uh, is the indication here in this scene. Um, he's talking about how uh, they, they're both talking about how they've both changed a lot in this time. Yeah. Some things are the same. She's still wearing uh, the necklace that Damon gave to her at the start of the series. She has not always been wearing this necklace. Uh, ah. it's, it's worth pointing out. But she is today. She did break it out for this occasion.
0: I was wondering about that necklace because there was still a lot of focus on it. Mm-hmm. I've forgotten about that.
1: Uh, we get different perspectives on what marriage looks like in in Westeros. Damon and uh, Rhaenyra talk this through. Damon's being very casual about it. Uh, marriage, it's just a political thing, Rhaenyra. You get married, you can do whatever you like after. It's not so bad. And Rhaenyra like, oh, really? Uh, it's very <laughs> nice that that's how you view it. Uh, for me, yeah. it's potentially a death sentence.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And when that echoes something she starts talking about with Viserys later on, she's like, I can do whatever I want if you were a boy. He's like, yeah, but you're not tough. Right. Uh, right. And they seem to have really no um, no desire to investigate that double standard they have in their minds.
1: No, definitely not. And I think uh, that scene that Viserys and and Damon are going to have later on when they have their uh, their latest falling out between the two of them. I think that Damon is the one who maybe pushes back on it a little bit of like, what were we doing when we were kids? Uh, mm-hmm. And he, and Viserys is the one. It's like we were young men, uh, so not being interrogated much at all by Viserys, who is uh, is at least trying to do the right thing by Rhaenyra still. But I think not looking at it any deeper than than that. I think he yep. looks too deep at it, and he sees what happened with uh, with Queen Emma at the start yep. of the show. So yep. doesn't really want to look that in the eye right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we have a small council meeting, very quick one, where we find out. The Sea Snake isn't here. He has, he has not returned to King's Landing. It still seems like there are hurt feelings between the two houses. We learn from, uh, we've got some, some news from Otto Hightower's brother back in Old Town that the word on the street is the Sea Snake is going to marry his daughter off to the Sea Lord of Bravos's son. So that's basically the, the highest seat of power in, in Bravos. Got it. And um,
0: Bravos being a totally separate country than Westeros, right? Yes. Uh, it's okay. like
1: the, it's the big city, the big closest city, I think, uh, on Essos to King's Landing. So uh, an an important political alignment. If the sea snake is going that way, the sea snake, it's I, I don't know what it looks like for him right now after a few years of war. But certainly, heading into that war, uh, the Sea Snake and, and House Valerion are being talked about as the wealthiest house in Westeros. Mm. Um, so, big, big money behind their name, and if they are throwing that money in with the Free Cities, that might look uh, look might not look so great for for what's going on here in Westeros. And I think this is that sort of loaded look of well, if they're aligning with the Free Cities, we might want to do something about that and seek a marriage pact of our own. And the unspoken piece of it, for now, it will be spoken out loud by the end of the episode, is all eyes on Rhaenyra for that, because the sea snake does have a son.
0: Yeah. Well, doesn't this just make Viserys's choice to marry Alicent look even stupider? Yes. Like, he knew that he was making a bet, like, he wasn't going for the convenient alliance, but, yeah. like, now he looks like a hypocrite as he forces Rhaenyra into it, and, like, marrying Alicent seems to have worked out okay, but, like, it just couldn't have been worth it.
1: No, and I mean, we did have that, I believe it was last week, uh, when Rhaenyra makes a comment about that, of, you know, if we were doing this purely out of duty, you would have Mm -hmm. not married my best friend. And even then, Viserys is like, yeah, true. Um, So (laughs) there's some degree of self-awareness, I think, that he's bad at this, Um, but, uh, you know, that only gets you so far.
0: And like you said, Damon is not wrong about uh, how he reads his brother.
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, So that's living with Rhaenyra uh, when she goes off to sleep for the night. I think, Um, you know, this idea of, well, this one sounds like a foregone conclusion. It seems like this is where everything is headed. That I'm going to be married off to the Sea Snake's son. Uh, And how
0: old is he at this point? He's younger, but not as younger as the girl was.
1: No, he is. um, He's probably, I would say, early 20s would be my guess. Uh, I think he's he is around there. We have uh, we've already changed actors with him one time. Uh, ah, okay. So we have we do have one casting change that has occurred. We saw him in the premiere, um, uh, a long long way back. Yes, uh, I remember those point. two
0: kids being there at the uh, big jousting match.
1: Yeah, so that was Matthew Carver was the actor who played uh, the youngest version of Lainor Valerian. Theo Nate is the actor who is playing him now. Um, so. He is, you know, at least um, I think at youngest he is Rainier's contemporary. Uh, so okay, they, right. they are they are of the same age. So so
0: certainly a tolerable political match for her.
1: Again, you know, same age and cousins, a total coup. <laughs> a total I said coup. Tolerable, in all right? Yes, not yeah. ideal. Yeah, not ideal, but this is <laughs> this is a different world we're talking about. Um, so in her in her bedroom when she goes in, Kristen Cole is guarding her for the night. Um, She goes in and there's this bag that is here. It does not belong to her. She investigates it. There's clothes. There's a scroll. It's a map. It points to this hidden passage in her bedroom that she did not know about previously. Um,
0: And there's a secret door buy that. This is this is the thing. Like, she's lived there her whole life. She doesn't seem like someone who avoids trouble. Like, does she really not know about this?
1: She feels like someone to me who would know about secret passageways, right? Uh, yes, uh, it definitely read that way to me as well. Uh, that maybe, especially if this is the room that she's been sleeping in since you know her entire life, almost. She's eighteen now at this point in the episode. Yeah, yeah I think maybe this could have been on her on her <laughs> radar um although but, maybe
0: damon is the one who would have shown it to her and he's been gone for four years like Clit, like damon definitely is the one who would have known about the secret passageways so he yeah. just hadn't had his chance yet
1: yeah last he saw her she's 14 15 years old he's like you gotta wait until you're 16 17 and then he, he missed <laughs> exactly. those years he missed exactly. those years. um but it's so loud this was the thing when i was <laughs> it's so loud uh that it's a it's a really bad look on on sir Kristen cole for whatever reason, Katie, this was my huge hang-up of the episode. Is how does he not hear? It's such a racket! It's so he, loud.
0: Maybe he was like out getting a coffee and missed missed his moment. I mean, yeah. he'll, he might have hell to pay for this in the next we,
1: episode. We know Game of Thrones loves coffee, uh, so <laughs> true. It could be that he was just out getting a. It is a late night. He's got a he's got a night shift, so uh, yeah, maybe. Um, Rhaenyra sneaks out. She she goes past Valerian the Black Dread. So she's you know fairly you know. Not like totally out in the open, but she's passing through well-traveled terrain here in the Red Keep, uh, and eventually she is going to run into into Damon and they are going to go for this night on the town. We go through it. We're seeing, you know, uh, all sorts of you know. There's this man with fire on his hands. There's lots of uh, there's musicians playing. There's just some you know casual sex in the alleyways, as you do here on uh, mm-hmm. in King's Landing.
0: Uh, I really love the score in this segment. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't think we've heard that music before. And, you know, Ramin Djawadi has gotten, um, you know, a little bit of uh, nudging for using the same score again for the theme song. Sure. Um, but this, again, it sounded really different from Game of Thrones and really um added so much atmosphere in this section.
1: I think I think that there is there is a there's a moodiness to these scenes. And I think mm-hmm. even um in Matt Smith's portrayal as well, and I think Millie Alcock too, she has this sort of starstruck quality about her of she's seeing her kingdom in a totally different way for the very first time in her entire life. She's undercover, no one knows who she is. She is free from the burden of being a Targaryen, if only for a few hours. Uh yeah. and I, I think the way that Matt Smith is playing it is Damon. He's he's pretty quiet through a lot of this. He's really just letting the experience speak for itself. You know, they're drinking, they're strolling through. This is old hat for Daemon Targaryen. He's lived this yeah. life. This is a, a first for Rhaenyra.
0: This is where the haircut really comes in handy, too, I think. I mean, he's got a hood on for a lot of it, but uh, getting he's rid of those like, you know. Yeah, those Legolas looks. Locks. Mm-hmm. Like he just he looks good. He looks good. Again, I don't want to be in pro incest here but matt smith a you know he's got a strong look here
1: we get it is the point uh, for sure <laughs> <laughs> um so we're we're gonna be cutting back and forth between what's happening in um in the streets and what's happening back at the keep um one of the scenes that we get is viserys is being bathed by how many people does it take to bathe the king
0: <sighs> Like six until Allison's like, just let me do it, which yeah. maybe. This is weird, I mean, guys. You're just
1: staring at him and he's feeling very self-conscious. Uh, <laughs> just let me wash my husband, please. Um, so yeah, it's. I mean, I think that this is really, for me, I don't know what else you're taking from it. I think that this scene... Um, her drinking the wine. Um, her in the night getting like the the very very late night booty call. Essentially, yeah, it's all underlining what does life even look like for Allison as the queen? She was talking earlier in the episode of sometimes I forget that I was Lady Allison. The uh, no one sees me that way anymore. Everybody just sees me as the queen, and it's fairly lonely. Is you know the subtext there? I think that's the big subtext of of these scenes for me.
0: Yeah. And also, I think I said earlier, like what it would could be like for Rhaenyra uh, yep. being married off. Um, You know, that's the, that's the life that she's trying to escape for this one night with her uncle. Yeah. And I
1: think for Rhaenyra, she's getting a very different experience in a lot of different ways, obviously. But one of them is this big scene that we get here where uh, it's been a minute since we have seen uh, a a stage play in, yeah. uh, in Game of Thrones. Were you happy to see uh, some some stage work happening here on the show?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it made me feel like I'm watching Shakespeare in Love, just watching mm-hmm. like a really uh, a silly comedy out there. Um, I, I am curious about how much of this is supposed to be a revelation to Rhaenyra about how, how people feel about this. Does she like really not know that people might want her brother to take over? It seems to be what she's afraid of.
1: I feel like it's confirmation. Right, you know, I think that this mm-hmm. is like confirming her worst fears: is that yeah, people just don't want her anywhere near the throne because she's a girl. You know, uh, yep. that, that you know, my 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 baby brother, two years old, three years old now, I suppose as he is, is still the preferred candidate. Um, and I think I think it's it's it feels to me it's it's one of those things where it's it's one thing to 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 feel it; it's a totally different thing to to know it. And this is a moment where. She is really alone in booing Aegon as the heir in this moment. Um, everybody <laughs> I know, else I was is really teaming with her, actually. Yeah, uh, no, I loved that. I thought it was great. I love that she had this moment of sticking up for herself from the back of the crowd, but she's just got no backup here. Even Damon, <laughs> I think the whole point is, you should see this. You should know. Um, and of course, I think underneath that is Damon's uh, feeling of, you know, you'll get on the throne with my help. Yeah. Uh, so all of that that's going on, all of that, all of the stuff that's happening here. By the way, Katie, this is another instance of just a sliver of the book that's being expanded out. Um, you know, okay. Obviously, all of this is going to build towards uh, the sex scene between Rhaenyra and Kristen Cole. Uh, that's going to be coming a few scenes from now. And there were a lot of questions about how all of this was going to be adapted for the show. Um, Fire and Blood. It's written from the perspective of a master of Westeros who was not alive during this time, and he's drawing from the sources that he has available. In this whole period of time, there's a lot of conflicting information about how this moment played out. Um, and one of the things that's that's interesting to me is um, that this is supposed to be with Daemon and Rhaenyra. Most of the reports are that. Damon comes back from the Stepstones, and he's here for half a year, and almost everybody agrees on that. Uh, I think everybody agrees on that in the in the in the case of the book. It's okay. clearly being shortened to a night. You know, maybe he's here for a week. I don't know. Sure. Um, but there is this one passage of Damon um walking Rainiera through the streets, and the intention, according to the book, is Damon is trying to teach Rainiera how to seduce Kristen Cole. Uh that is oh. that is the case in, in the book. In the show here, it's um it's being played very, very differently. And um in in my humble opinion, I'm I'm much happier with how it's being depicted on the show because gosh, if I never have to read George R. R. Martin writing another sex scene again, I will be <laughs> incredibly happy. Uh, and some of the things he describes between Damon and Rhaenyra—that it's not just that Damon is showing her King's Landing and taking her to a pillow house or whatever—that he and Rhaenyra are, um, are, are, you know, are, are hooking up, and he's showing her how to how to pleasure a man. Uh, and the way it's written is just is is really kind of trashy, and it's being depicted from the perspective of a very trashy character. That one Mm -hmm. of the sources of information during this period of time is a character who we haven't seen on House of the Dragon. I don't know that we are going to see on House of the Dragon um, is a character named Mushroom. Have you heard much about Mushroom, Katie?
0: (laughs) No, no, but I did have a question. Oh, who is it who comes late? Who's the uh, the source who comes to Otto? Uh, White Worm? <laughs> is right. is so, he the, the so, version of White Worm?
1: Totally different. White Worm and uh, Myceria, uh who who we have seen before and we see again in this episode. She's the one with Damon while Damon is nursing like this hangover from hell. Uh, right. Wait, she, is that
0: not the same woman who he like pretended was his wife?
1: It's the same woman, yeah. Okay,
0: that's what I thought. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep, and she is... Um, if she wasn't known by this name before, she is now uh, the White Worm. She has developed a bit of a reputation oh. of herself of being a source of information, information broker... She's gonna be saying that to Damon of you know the the trade of the flesh is not gonna be as lucrative as the trade of information is essentially right. what that boils down to um mushroom trades in information but also really loves to trade in information of the flesh uh he is like a super pervert he is a he is a court jester he is a dwarf, and he has. I'm going to just quote George R. R. Martin here. These are his words, not mine. Uh, An alleged enormous member that he writes about (laughs) way too often. And I'm so glad that this He's is not, not on the show. <laughs> I couldn't handle mushroom. Uh, I think we can leave <laughs> mushroom. Mushroom could stay in the book. Um,
0: I mean, this is the whole thing about. So I didn't know any of this about Damon's role and like his intentions here. Um, but I think like the patronizing aspect of that is like, let me show you how to seduce a man. Like that sucks. We don't need yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and the way that like the sex is depicted at this pleasure house, like. There's a lot of emphasis on like women having a good time and like men having a good time together. Like I think we see like full frontal male nudity. I need to go back yep. and check. We um, do and. I, like I said, I, I haven't rewatched Game of Thrones in a while, but it just feels like a really different way of depicting a brothel, which we saw plenty of in original Game of Thrones. It feels like a completely different perspective on this.
1: There was a part of me that was kind of just like, okay, well, it's Game of Thrones, there was bound to be a brothel scene, uh, and course. you know, so there, so watching this stuff, I think on my first pass, I was I was a little bit like, miss me with this, uh, and I <laughs> and, and I do and I do think that there is um there I'm gonna be really interested in getting people's reactions to this one, Katie. Like I I, I don't know that I've Come around to this portion of the episode as anything for me other than Game of Thrones is just kind of Game of Thronesing. You know, it 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 didn't land squarely with me. It felt it felt a little bit like the older version of the show. Um, But I think that the the impact of it and where Rhaenyra ends up at the other side of this sequence, I think, is a really important place to push the character. And Mm. knowing that this was, you know. This is one of those things where you can you can change certain things about the storytelling from the book, but I think there are some structural beats that you really just cannot change uh, or else so much falls apart. so this some version of this had to happen i I prefer the way that they did it on the show to how it goes in the book.
0: In the book does he leave? Does he like it seems like he kinda gets freaked out and leaves, right? In the
1: in the book it's it's um it's there isn't like sort of a like a, a highly personal version of of this. i I think that the bigger question in the book, the way that the book leaves it, is is Damon trying to coach Rhaenyra up to to seduce Kristen Cole, or is he trying to besmirch her honor so that Viserys will let him marry his daughter? Um ah. and, and I and I think that there is still a read of that that's intact by um you know the end of this episode when Damon and Viserys have their big falling out. But then there is this moment when when Damon and um and Rhaenyra are uh you know finally uh showing some physical intimacy in in this sequence and he's the one who ends it and it seems like he is having he is having his his own thoughts about it and that remains i think for me pretty enigmatic as far mm-hmm. as what is he taking away from all of this and is this a version of him you know real like was this a political move i think is still fairly open and the book left it kind of open as well
0: yeah i definitely read it as like He is attracted to her like he would want to marry her if it were not politically convenient. But because it is politically convenient and would benefit him immensely, he's kind of much more into pursuing it. Like it's a little bit of head and the heart operating there. Yeah.
1: All of this is contrasted with Allison and Viserys having sex at night uh, and Allison looking totally miserable. Uh, Absolutely miserable. Yeah. This was hard. That was really, really tough to watch.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. The moment where, like, he gets, he tries to catch her eye and she, like, puts on a face mm-hmm. for his benefit is just really heartbreaking. And, yeah. you, I mean, she's resigned. You know, it's not, she's not surprised by any of this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I have to go back and, and, and see what, what, was it a rat that was on, uh, the bedpost? There's some animal that she's looking at. Uh, oh,
0: God. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I forgot about that.
1: Yeah. Uh, so there's, there's some animal I have to go back and, and, and check. But just even like the, you know, just the, the, there was like a dirtiness to it uh, that I think mm-hmm. is being literalized by the presence of this this outsider uh, that is that is here um, that I think is is really furthering this theme, and I, I think that there have been a lot of questions about where is Alison at in all of this? Um, you know, does she care about the king? Did she care about the king at the start of this? Was she just pushed into this by her mm-hmm. father? Her father's really going to be a huge subject of this as we as we push deeper into the episode. Um, but I think for the first time even though it's still, you know, subject to interpretation, I do think that we're getting uh, much more of a read on Alicent and what life for her is like as the queen. It's joyless.
0: Yeah. 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 And like, and again, like, I, this isn't like Sansa stuck with Ramsey and Game of Thrones, right? Like, Alicent made a choice on some level, like to the extent that she had choices in this world. Like, she made a political move the same way that Rainier is about to and everyone else has, but it doesn't mean that there's not a human misery associated with that.
1: Yeah. Um one thing that we we kind of glossed over that I feel like uh it, I I will I will get it in the proverbial comment section if I do not call this out <laughs> uh is before they go to the pleasure house uh Rhaenyra is going to she's going to steal something she's going to be chased through the streets by Damon she is going to run into a knight uh Sir Harwin Strong breakbones allegedly the strongest man in Westeros, so appropriately named, I would say. What a name. He is, um, we saw him last week. He's the son of Lord Strong, the Master of Laws. His brother is Laris Strong with the clubfoot, who we saw last week as well. Oh, yeah, okay. He's the guy, if you if you notice this, certainly the meme Lords have, uh, is this <laughs> scene when Rhaenyra is coming back, covered in the boar blood, and she catches a look from a guy who just seems very happy to see Rhaenyra covered in boar guts uh he's like very impressed and has this big goofy grin on his face this is the same guy uh who who just lets her go you know he 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 clocks her have a good night boy uh and she gets to move on so
0: yeah what is that is that going to come up later like that felt like a little bit of a uh tangent
1: yeah i think worth noting uh i think i think worth noting the interaction between rainier and breakbones uh all right to be continued on breakbones for sure um, that way yeah put that in the yeah uh, put that in a safe space uh, and we will <laughs> we will examine it later. um Rhaenyra comes home um after Damon has just split she is able to to get home not unnoticed there is this boy who watches her leave and obviously is going to come to Otto and uh, and give the the news uh, a message from the white worm so that is gonna mm-hmm. be Missaria, who we will see in a bit. but when Rhaenyra comes home, She blitzes past Sir Kristen, who seems like was totally shocked that she is not in the room. Um, And we do we do get this love scene between uh, the two of them, which I think is another one probably long awaited by people who've been leaning in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I wrote down uh what a fancy sex scene because it just like goes on for a long time. Really and... long time, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there's like Vaseline on the lens, but everyone looks really great. Mm-hmm. I noticed that like you you don't see her boobs, uh, which again feels like the new Game of Thrones. Like yep. that that's not necessarily restraint they would have had in the past. Um, um and she seems um, to be having a noting, great time.
1: I think Katie, this, this episode was uh not directed by a man. Uh Claire Kilner is the director of very this episode. well worth noting. She has a few episodes. She's gonna direct the next one. One as well next week's episode We Light the Way she will also have the penultimate episode which has a provocative title for me as a book reader The Green Council uh, your episode 9 is always an event I'm That's very true. excited especially after watching this one being so character focused I think we've got uh, we've got some major story beats that are in in really safe hands, and not the least of which is um, you know a sex scene between a character who is played by an actor in their twenties. Um, but we've seen this same actor play Rhaenyra as a fourteen year old. This I think was a really tall order to, to to serve up to us in a way that I think was going to be. Um, you know, not salacious, not scandalous. And mm-hmm. I think it it does feel like a very loving scene to me. I, I don't know if you had a different read on it.
0: No, I think she, like, she is pursuing him. Uh, he seems to be treating her well. She's enjoying herself. Like, I think, you know, I thought about what Damon said. Like, you get married and you can do whatever you want. Like, is this the best case scenario for Rhaenyra that she marries whoever and then Sir Kristen's still hanging around to to actually have a good time with?
1: Yeah. He is, uh, you know, uh, a lot of armor that needs to be removed. So that takes
0: a long time. But seriously, the scene goes on for like ten minutes.
1: Like so much of the scene is literally just like taking all of the individual pieces of the armor off—the shoulder off.
0: plate, mm-hmm. the breastplate, yeah,
1: like the forearm plates. Like <laughs> all of the plates are gone uh, by the end of it. So. It's a very big deal for Sir Kristen Cole, who, you know, this is, you know, he is way above his station at this point. He talked about that in episode three with Rainier, Mm -hmm. that, you know, you've given me the greatest honor that I could have ever imagined for myself in in my life by naming me to the Kingsguard. The Kingsguard, I I believe, are supposed to be celibate, let alone, uh, you know, embarking on a relationship secretly with the princess who they're supposed to protect, so... This is not a nothing deal. This is a this is a very big deal here.
0: Yep. Yeah. I wondered about the celibacy because I feel like there's all you know, the, there's the, the Night's Watch. Like I feel like in the world of Westeros, there's a lot of rules about who in what job is allowed to sleep with people. So, yeah. You know, <laughs> never stop Jamie
1: Lannister. And I'm you no, know, no, exceptions. never seen to
0: stop anyone. Honestly, no, not really. So-
1: <laughs> no. Yeah. Rules, more like guidelines. uh, Um, So we do get this scene with Myceria and Damon, uh, the return of Myceria to the show. And she and Damon do not seem to have had much in the way of interaction in this time. Um, There is a detail from the book that seems to have been uh, very much changed for the sake of the show. Um, Back in episode two, when Damon is saying that he and Myceria were expecting a child uh, that seems like it was just him bluffing uh, and him kind yeah. of, um, you know, bloviating back in uh, back at Dragonstone just to get his brother's attention. The book has it. And again, it's all, you know, you know, second, third hand sources. So the the history can be molded for the show and this can be kind of the canonical narrative. Um, but it seemed like she was pregnant in the book and that she lost the child when she left Dragonstone. Mm. I don't know if that's something that's going to come up on the show. So far, it does not feel that way. It feels like that whole thing was played kind of, um, you know, farcically, uh, that it isn't, you know, something that was real.
0: That seems very much in line with this show's goal of giving women more agency, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, within the boundaries of the world of Westeros, which, you know, as we've said, doesn't give women a lot of options. Like having a character have a miscarriage just as like a plot beat seems pointless. And that was really smart to excise.
1: And I don't think that it really adds anything uh, to uh, yeah. to fire and blood. So uh, to take that completely out of here, I think uh, it, it absolutely works. Um, I feel
0: glad for her that she's just been rid of him this whole mm-hmm. time and doing going about her business.
1: Yeah. Well, she's trying to give him uh, a hangover remedy. He wants nothing to do with that. Um, maybe he should have taken the hangover remedy, mm-hmm. considering what's coming next. Uh, he's He's really feeling it this morning.
0: Yeah, he's um, in for
1: it. He's in for it because Viserys is about to hear what Otto Hightower describes as discomforting news. I know.
0: Uh,
1: He's really selling
0: it pretty small at the start of this. He is not ready to have that conversation. He does not want to be there. Well,
1: speaking, Katie, of of scenes that go on for a long time, you know, Otto gets Mm -hmm. this news in the night and then we get this Daemon and Missaria scene. And then before Otto goes to Viserys, the cameras just on re-siphons for a bit. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just on Otto Hightower, and there's there's a read where it's like, okay, I need to shore up some nerve to have this conversation, but I also wonder how much of it is is this you know he's been in his way trying to kind of subtly manipulate events. You know, he he match made his daughter with Viserys. His grandson could be the heir to the Iron Throne is this a bridge too far? Am I going to be pulling the curtain back on the fact that I've been watching your daughter? How is this going to land? It obviously all lands very, very poorly. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm curious where your head is at regarding Otto's headspace. Maybe even just Otto generally. He survives the episode, but he doesn't... Uh, get to keep his job by the end of it which again good outcome I think for Game of Thrones Yeah, that's
0: true that's true well you know you you see um, Viserys has this like dagger and a pot of coals and I was like oh my god what is he gonna do with that and he he doesn't wind up killing anyone with it which you know good outcome No, I wanted to ask you about Otto too, because honestly, like he's been there, he's been giving advice. I, you know, I was very clear that he positioned Alicent to, you know, marry the king and that worked out really well for him. But when Rhaenyra, you know, jumping ahead a little bit, kind of comes in and tells her father, like, he's been plotting against me the whole time. And Viserys is kind of like, oh yeah, I guess so. I felt like Viserys turned against him quicker than I would have expected. And I'm wondering if I missed something of where he would have had doubts or if like the combination of him telling him something he didn't want to hear about Rhaenyra and then that accusation was just enough to totally change his perspective on Otto.
1: I think that episode three did some work in this direction for me. Um, I think that in the third episode, everybody is making all of this noise about the White Hart stag. And oh, my God, what an omen, uh, mm. you know, on on Aegon's birthday, no less. The the king of the Kingswood is is rolling into town. Uh, And I think that Otto is really leaning on that button quite a bit. And there is a moment where he where he's talking about that in the woods with Viserys. Viserys just kind of, you know, pats him on the shoulder and and goes about his his day. Uh, And it's not terribly long after that, that Viserys begins his bender and he's going to, you know, field the marriage proposal for Rhaenyra from Jason Lannister and Jason Lannister is going to be the one who kind of challenges Rhaenyra's claim to the Iron Throne accidentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not long after that is when Otto is going to bring up, uh, well, why don't you just marry Rhaenyra off to my grandson? Um, yeah. I think the thing with Viserys is he's not he he's dumb in certain regards. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think that he's ineffectual in in a bunch of ways. But I think that he he can see what's happening around him to a certain extent. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that there's some willful blinders that he that he leaves on. But I think that, you know, with with Otto, I think the 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 subtle suggesting from Otto Hightower is starting to go noticed by Viserys as mm-hmm. recently as a year ago uh, is, okay. is how I would clock that.
0: I think that's a really good way to put it. You know, I had remembered the proposal for the two year old, obviously, but sort of forgotten that that was Otto's grandson and like how much benefit he gets from that. Right. Um, I mean, I guess that's hard when you're the hand of the king, like you really are in the middle of everything, like a lot of things can benefit you. But I do think he is probably right that Otto is more in it for himself than for the king.
1: Well, yeah, he, he says this to him uh, when, when Viserys is kind of, um, he's going off. This is a lie. You're being lied to. Who's responsible for this gossip? Have the rumor monger brought to me at once and I will take their eyes. And just an <laughs> incredible line delivery there. Um, but he is then going to turn it on Otto specifically about, you know, Otto saying this source has never failed me yet. And several sources saw Rhaenyra during the night, of the, during the hour of the owl. Um, and Viserys is is furious that she's being spied upon uh, and that her reputation is being called into question in this way. And he straight up says to Otto, do you think yourself a cunning man? Your designs are obvious. Do you wish to have your blood on the Iron Throne so badly that you would destroy my own? Mm. Um, and I think, I think even last week, Otto gets into this a bit with Alicent uh, about um, your son has to be on the Iron Throne. The destination is clear. The road ahead isn't. We are in danger if we don't do this right. Um, so I think that Otto, there is the there is the world in which this is power grabby for Otto. There is also the world in which he's trying to kind of be Papa Bear to a certain extent. Uh, if Rhaenyra gets on the throne and he thinks the worst of her, he thinks that that could be very bad for Allison, for Aegon, for Helena, who's the baby daughter right now. Um, you know, I think that he thinks that this could all trickle downhill in a very very bad way, and he might not be wrong about that.
0: No, that's the thing is we learn from that show that like he's not wrong, that the people want Aegon instead. And um, I guess that's that's kind of Game of Thrones at its best, right? People who are both right and wrong at the same time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the entirety of 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 the deal, you know, just existing in the gray. Uh, and I yeah. think, you know, you you see somebody on like the darker side of that on one episode and you're really getting a good hate into them there. And then they do something in the next episode where you're like, oh, you just killed the crab feeder and I'm suddenly forgetting (laughs) that you gelded that man in your second scene of the whole show. Um, (laughs) I didn't forget that. I have not forgotten that. Um, It was very vivid. It was very vivid. And we had a lot else to talk about in that episode. It is a a, a brutal time here in Westeros here during the reign of Viserys Targaryen. Um, We get this scene with Alicent and Rhaenyra because Alicent overheard the entire conversation. She was there. She has now been um, clued in onto these accusations and she is going to turn it around to Rhaenyra. She has Kristen Cole summon Rhaenyra, and mm. he cannot look Rhaenyra in the eye in the cold light of day at all. Uh, so poor
0: guy. How this
1: is living with him? It does not seem to be living great with him right now. Um, but Allison and Rhaenyra have this conversation that I think is a really compelling one. Um, you know, like you said, there is not full honesty in this scene. I think Allison's intentions of I want this to I I want I want to improve this situation as best as I can towards Rhaenyra, but also she's deeply wounded. I feel like a lot of the emotions are very honest in this scene, but the information where we land with Rhaenyra saying, Damon never touched me, um, all of this, the information itself is not exactly on the level.
0: It made me think about the power if if you're lying, if you at first deny it completely, and then you say, Okay, fine, like I'll Mm -hmm. tell you this much. Like that part feels like the truth, even though it's not, and it totally works on Allison.
1: Yeah, uh, so, I need to remember
0: this next time. I need to stage an elaborate lie.
1: Uh huh. Oh yeah. No, this is <laughs> this is expert stuff, uh, next level strategy. Uh, but even you know, she the, the the escalation of how she is imploring uh, Allison. She starts with her name, Allison, your grace sister. You know, like it goes through this gradation of. We start intimately, now let me call upon your station. Now let's go back to you know this familial relationship between uh, the two of us. I'm telling mm-hmm. you, it did not happen. Um, so, I don't know. I think um, Rhaenyra not being fully honest with Allison at this point, they just kind of made up after four years of estrangement. Yeah. You know, uh, hard to blame her for not wanting to be completely truthful uh, with this person right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, she's got a she's holding on as best she can. I just is she really are she and Damon both really stupid for not thinking that this would come back on them?
1: Um, I think uh, I think Damon is. Yeah, uh, I don't know about Rainier. Th- I still feel That's like re- so
0: she's new to all of us. I think she's new to
1: all of it. And uh, we Hillary and I talked about this a bit last week, too, that there is an element to which Rainier feels like she's been kind of frozen in amber. Uh, you know that, you know, the, the trauma that happened to her uh, when her mother died. She's 14. A few months later, her only person that she trusts in the world has been, uh, you know, covertly married off, paired off with her father. Um, you know, I think that the the three year time jump, she's still kind of, you know, broody teenager about the whole thing, which is fair. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there is an element to which Rhaenyra... You know, she's concerned about do people want me on the Iron Throne? Am I actually going to have this thing that I never thought that I would have, but I've now been told that I'm going to have? I think she's living in that space in in a big way. So for Rhaenyra not to see the top down view of how this could ultimately play out and just get swept up in the occasion in the night and like having this rare moment for herself where she can just be a person free from the burdens of the crown, um, I I get all of that. Damon is just a reckless dude, uh, you know, <laughs> he charged into battle against, uh, you know, uh, you know, thousands of, of enemies uh, completely without backup. So maybe he's just uh, it, I, I, it's a, a foolish move, but maybe it's just completely consistently in character with this guy.
0: Yeah, no, that sounds about right. And again, I like that, like, Rhaenyra is a character who we're rooting for. And like, I you know, I think I still want her to be on the Iron Throne, but she's not like... Powerful girl boss who makes no bad decisions. Like she right. she has a lot of depth to that character.
1: Totally. Um Damon comes back uh and he is immediately brought before Viserys and he is still pretty worse for wear. And Viserys, he's mad. This is the mm-hmm. mad king right now. <laughs> he's furious. He's not happy. He's kicking him while he's down. Um but Damon doesn't deny the charges. Uh, you know, yeah. he's He's again. He's throwing it back at Viserys. That uh, you know, we we went to all the brothels when we were young. Uh, Viserys says, "This is very telling for me, Katie. We were young men. She's just a girl." Um, yeah,
0: come on, Viserys.
1: You know who is who is he just with the night before? These past several <laughs> years, then you know, so uh, extraordinary, extraordinary coming from this guy. Um, and he says that you've ruined her, uh, you know, this, you think about what this is going to do to Rhaenyra no one is going to, to marry her now. Uh, Damon says that you're the dragon, your word is truth and law. You know, he's trying to convey Mm -hmm. to his brother that you can make this story, whatever it needs to be. Um, and by the way, just marry her to me. Uh, and I will, I will take Rhaenyra as is the tradition of our house. Viserys hates all of this.
0: Okay, here's my question: Would that be an advantageous political match? I kind of see where he's coming from with saying that they should just get married.
1: I think for for Damon's perspective or for Viserys' perspective,
0: from from I feel like, I feel like for Damon it makes sense, but then like. It would power it would make their house powerful, right? To like that's the whole thing with Targaryen intermarriage, right? Like we keep the blood strong and we we, we stay, you know, we circle the wagons around our family.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I think especially for Viserys is somebody who is going to be talking to Rainier about this in a scene or so from now, um, about how we have some responsibilities as Targaryens that go above and beyond the throne. Um, mm-hmm. and so that tracks for me. I think that I think that you're seizing on it from Viserys' perspective. I think it's all about you know the delivery certainly uh, and the way that Damon went about all of this like there is just
0: <laughs> not, not the best. It's not not the exactly best. like asking permission to propose. <laughs> no,
1: no, <laughs> this is not great behavior. Uh, it's bad behavior, and I and I think um, I think from Viserys' perspective on all of this as well, and he he talks about how I have I have gone out of my way to uh, to vouch for you, to back you. You came back. You you were legendary in the Stepstones. You bent the knee. I thought this was going to work out great between us. And all of a sudden, you're just immediately back to your old tricks. Uh, you know, it's like the fool me once uh, sort, yeah. of, sort of he's not line. wrong about that. No, he's not. Um, and so he kicks him out. He says, go back to the veil. Go back to your lawful wife. We have not um, seen Damon's wife uh, in the show up to this point. But he is married to uh, to a, a lady of a noble house of the Vale. Um, so he's. We've saying, not heard
0: many nice things about her, though.
1: No, not at all. Damon does not seem to like her or anybody. Uh, any of the women of the Vale, he has uh, very very mean things to say about. Um, <laughs> but again, this is in in the book. This is after like a period of peace between the brothers. He's there for half a year. He resumes his seat on the small council. You know, uh. he's, he's really back in action. The show is just breezing past all of that stuff um, to, yeah. I think, heighten the moment, the tension between Damon and Viserys here.
0: Yeah, I, I, I can see the argument for that, for sure.
1: Um, we get a really quick scene with Allison and Viser- uh, Viserys, where um, Allison is once again really going to bat for, for her friend, uh, you know, now that they're, they're kind of in. She says, it's not in Rhaenyra's nature to be deceitful. I cannot say the <laughs> same about your brother.
0: <laughs> also, Alison, how much do you know, Rhaenyra? I mean, like, I guess we haven't really seen Rhaenyra like lying on this level before, but I don't know. Like, I, this makes sense for her character. Everything that's happened,
1: I think. Uh, you know, if 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 we're saying, if we're positing that there is an element to which Rhaenyra is kind of stuck in some old feelings, right, and is like still mm-hmm. in sort of um like mentally, emotionally, a time and place. I don't know that the same can't be said for for Allison, too, especially with the the, the information we get in this episode of like what her life actually looks like behind closed doors when she's alone. Um, That I think for her, the uh, and even in in last week's episode, Katie, when she says to Rainier, like none of this needs to be like this, we can we can. Yeah, we can be friends again if we can just have a conversation and maybe I can share my 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 point of view on how all of this went down. Um, That I think there's a world where now that they are communicating again Allison is looking at Rhaenyra as the girl she was reading to under the tree. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. I can trust that person and that person would never lie to me. But time has passed. Uh, so, yep. you know, yep, she is vouching for her uh, and unfortunately vouching for her with uh, with bad intel. Um, that's a really
0: interesting idea about the you know, the recasting that's coming. And I don't do we know what episode uh, we're going to see Millie Alcock and um actors plays allison leave us
1: yes uh emily Carey, who plays allison we are we're losing them soon we've got one more with uh with those two actors in the role before we shift gears wow Uh,
0: again just thinking about them being kind of stuck in their teenage selves and like we're watching like those patterns repeat themselves over and over again with these actors and i'm curious about how the shift is maybe going to affect that maybe allow them to grow or maybe not um yeah it's been really effective i think
1: I think so, too. I think it is um, it is it is among maybe even the biggest risk uh, creatively of the show is this this recasting that's going to happen midway through your first season of the show. Yeah. For these two characters who have been critical to the narrative, I don't think it is at all a reach to say that they have been, you know, some of the core, like the most core characters of Definitely. House of the Dragon so far. Um, and they've both been so good and I'm, I'm excited to see what they do with them as the story goes forward. And especially knowing a bit more about what the story entails for some of these characters on the show. I'm really, really excited about, um, you know, what's on the other side of a time jump that necessitates a recasting. But I also think a lot of people are rightly attached to these performances and it's going to be a different kind of grieving on Game of Thrones, you know, where, you know, it's not that the, the these characters have been killed, they've been recast. We have new mm-hmm. people who are playing them. And I'm I'm really interested to see what the reception to that is. I think I think some people and maybe even many people are gonna be very disappointed by by that, especially if it's a blind side. Uh, so you know, we're trying to prep you all for this. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming. Um,
0: uh was it wasn't it Tommen who was played by like three different Two of the he, course of the game. Okay, two different yeah.
1: actors. Yeah. We've lived
0: through this before. We can handle it.
1: We've gone there before. I think I uh I, well, I know that the actor who ended up playing him, Dean Charles Chapman, played two characters. I wonder how many people played Tom in over the years. It could be three. <laughs>
0: there were three mountains.
1: You know it's <laughs> maybe happened. the
0: mountain was I'm thinking of. Yeah, well we we've happened. been prepared for this.
1: We've been prepared. Um we get this uh, this penultimate scene, uh, I guess anti-penultimate scene. There's three more. Um, Rhaenyra comes to Viserys, and they have it out. Um, Viserys is going to show her the dagger again. This is the Game of Thrones cat's paw dagger that has yeah. the prophecy on it, which is okay. This is loaded. This is a literally uh, loaded weapon that Arya killed the Night King with. It has the prince who was promised prophecy right on there uh, in, in High Valyrian. Um, OK, th- I have a
0: question about news this prophecy. to
1: me. News to me. Yes. OK.
0: Yeah, all right. So I remember you talking, I think, in the first episode, the fact that that prophecy existed and was known to these characters was new. Right. Like yep. We had not because we, we knew about that prophecy in Game of Thrones because it is the Song of Ice and Fire. But we didn't know when it had been revealed to people.
1: So we didn't know that this was, you know, kind of an open secret, at least among the Targaryen kings. Um, Got it. Okay. That, that this is something that was foreseen by Aegon the Conqueror himself and that this was an added motivator for why he conquered Westeros to begin with. I think that the the narrative and even as it's presented in Fire and Blood, the book, um, in no small part because the perspective of the book is coming from someone who doesn't have all the facts, who doesn't mm-hmm. have a Targaryen to interview even, you know, um, that this is completely excluded from any source material that Martin has published thus far. Um, so the entirety of the fact that this this links back as far back, and and um, Viserys is gonna is gonna name, I believe he name drops Aenar Targaryen, who is Danis the dream uh, Danes the Dreamers' father. He's the the uh, the Targaryen patriarch that flees Valyria um, uh, before the doom, with about a decade plus to go before the doom. That the dagger once belonged to him, and who it belonged to before that is a mystery. The ancient mm. associations with this prophecy. This is this is new information. For okay,
0: sure. but Daenerys yeah. did know this prophecy, and that was part of her like whole march back to Westeros.
1: I have to. I, I'm I, the way that it played out in season two of Game of Thrones when she goes to the House of the Undying, uh, and the way that that plays in the book very, very different. Great in the book, not so great mm. on the show. Uh, I think is the okay. is the popular take, and I think the right take. Um, and in the book, the House of the Undying sequence shows us the the prophecy. We get the prophecy there okay. Um, okay. but I think it's still murky I think it's still it's still unclear, and as with all things prophecy in this world uh there's many, many different meanings that could be gleaned from it uh, and what Danny exactly takes from that um, I think is is still is still up in the air as far as the books are concerned, at the very least um she certainly reads it in the show as this is her destiny uh mm-hmm. she is she is supposed to do this. Um, But we're getting this from Viserys to Rhaenyra of look at this prophecy and tell me that this is not really important to make sure that we are protecting. You are you are my political headache right now. And we need (laughs) to stop that line. (laughs) Yeah, very good. so his whole his whole deal with her that you you have to marry, but you get to choose who you want to marry, that's off the table. Uh that is that is gone. You're gonna get married to Lenor Valerian, you're gonna do it without protest. It's the son of the sea snake, it's gonna be great for all of us, and you're just gonna say yes. Um and to her credit, Rainier says, All right, well then if I'm gonna do that, what are you gonna do about Otto Hightower? Because it comes mm-hmm. up in her conversation with Allison. That that's how this information about her, this scandal that's breaking out, um, came to the king. And she is the one who, if Viserys is already kind of like you know, you know, he's he's feeling the wind in the in the air uh, about Otto High Tower, she's really calling the shot. Of uh, this guy's going to stop at nothing to see that his family has power over everything. I'll do my duty, but you have to do yours. You have to protect the realm from this guy.
0: Yep. Yeah. I mean, I. It was kind of impressive how quickly she was like, OK, fine, I'll marry this guy. Like, yeah. I, I, I recognize that my options are kind of limited at this like, point. Like, OK,
1: well, I've seen enough uh, and he probably is better than everybody else who I met. So, you know, yeah.
0: And uh, she's smart enough politically to know that, like, that really is what has to happen. I, do you think that the dagger reveal and the prophecy, like, helps tip her in that direction? I think it may, it
1: may help ground her in some of the the responsibility of the throne. It's such an X factor. Uh, I mean, really, every time that the dagger and the prophecy comes up, Katie, I am just kind of at the edge of my seat. Of like, are you White Walkering this show? Is this happening? Are we night Wait. kinging? Are we going to night king this show? Uh, Wait, what does
0: that mean? What are we talking about?
1: <laughs> I'm I'm nervous that there is some big White Walker component to the oh, to the story because uh, of
0: the ice, because because bringing in Song of, of Ice and Fire. Well, just that this is this is
1: the vision, this is the prophecy that uh, Westeros is gonna humanity is going to be ended by this great icy horrible threat from from Got far it. beyond if we are not ready for it. Uh, and we know that that comes to bear in Game of Thrones. It's just being brought up so often on this show that I just wonder if George R. R. Martin doesn't want another crack at getting that right. Uh, and
0: Interesting. How would they do that? And how would it be, that, you know, 200 years before Game of Thrones?
1: I think that there is certainly with like the anthological quality that could come about in, in House of the Dragon, if that's a direction we end up going in, uh, that's, you know, that's sort of aspirationally been spoken about. It's nothing that's been confirmed. I think that there's ways to go beyond the wall. Uh, I think that okay. there's ways to engage some of that stuff in the greater Game of Thrones franchise, and I think that that while House of the Dragon is uh, rightly in its quality restoring a lot of you know goodwill in this franchise, I feel like that's still just way too thorny. Uh, I think we start getting <sighs> yeah. into that territory, and I think people are going to be very very reticent. Not to the degree that like 16 million people who watched Episode three are going to be dropping off in mass. Um, But I do think that there will be a lot of uh, rolled eyes, at the very least, if that's the direction they're going. I don't think it is, but I'm nervous every single time this (laughs) prophecy is brought up.
0: Because I think they've done a really good job of getting away from the Game of Thrones comparisons really quickly. Like, obviously, every episode we're getting Baratheons and Starks and stuff like that. But like these characters... I don't care about Jon Snow right now. Like I don't really want to think about all of that stuff. I'd love to go see um, Winterfell again and all of that stuff. Right. Um, But I think for them to go back into White Walkers, especially in season one, or maybe ever would just be kind of inviting all of that back again.
1: Oh gosh. And I I mean, I'd be furious. Uh, (laughs) I I do think I'd be really upset and I don't think I want that. Uh, I want to stay locked in on the story because the story that's being told is very, very compelling in its own right. It doesn't need any of that. Doesn't need any of that as far as I'm concerned. Yep. Um, Viserys is going to fire Otto. Uh, you know he's going to he's going to get the he's he's got this very very strong counsel from Rhaenyra who obviously is invested in this man not being around anymore. It seems like certainly from her perspective, this guy does have good sources. Uh, you know mm-hmm. the sources are are not all the way wrong, um, and he's spying on me and he's trying to do significant damage to me. And this man should not be around anymore. And I think that it's the final push that Viserys needs. Uh he evokes this ancient history. He evokes the death of his own father, um, Balon the Brave, uh, who is the rider of uh Vagar, who is one of the original OG Conquest dragons who we've heard a couple of times uh has been evoked mm-hmm. on the show thus far. He's Vhagar, the one who's still around, right? Still around, still alive, uh just uh whereabouts unknown at this current moment in time. Um and in that five day span that his father was uh, so strong at the height of his power he dies. Um I I think in the in the text and I I I didn't clock it exactly on the show. It's of I think he has like appendicitis is is what kills him um in the book and he just, you know, kind of drops dead effectively. Um and in that 5-day span, Otto Hightower uh gets anointed to be hand of the king to Jaehaerys Targaryen, the the king who preceded um uh Viserys. Uh yeah. and in that 5-day span, This is what Viserys is wondering. He's like, is that when you realize that you had a path to the Iron Throne? Is that when things warped for you? He's just really reading him for filth on his way out the door. Well,
0: I wondered if he was accusing Otto of having a role in all of this. Like, is he accusing him of, like, conspiring against them?
1: If that is how he is thinking about this and he doesn't just order this man immediately imprisoned, then uh, Viserys true. really sucks as king. That's um, true.
0: Okay, fair enough. But, Katie,
1: I think that that's an option worth considering. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that you know? Viserys is really this bad at it?
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't think that that's off the table. Um, yeah. But, uh, but Otto is, uh, he's very lucky. He's very lucky that all he gets here is uh, stripped of his responsibilities as Hand of the King. Uh, so yeah. it is the it is the very rare outcome on Game of Thrones, where somebody is just fired outright and that's it. (laughs) And not killed. I
0: mean, I was going to say we we don't want to lose receipt funds on the show. And I I don't think we do. But we all know of Game of Thrones that like just because you like an actor doesn't mean that they're going to stick around. So that might not mean Otto's around for the rest of the season even.
1: Yeah. Uh so I, I think uh, you know, he is he is listed as core cast member, series regular, uh I think even potentially with the prestigious and credit, if I am not mistaken. Yeah, uh, I well
0: it's like the, the the first three. It's like Patty Considine, 9 Reese Funds and um uh, and Matt Smith and, and yeah. it's like oh all the men I see but I was like mm-hmm. okay fine women are getting recast like I understand <laughs> right. how this right, is gonna happen right.
1: uh, so I think uh, to be determined on whether or not we see him again uh, but obviously this is a very big move how Allison is going to receive this how the rest of the realm will receive um, the, uh, the the removal of Viserys' hand, who will step in, um, how long will, will this go? Is this a permanent move or is the next person who talks to Viserys going to change his mind as it seems happens quite often <laughs> with this guy? Uh, I think it's a it's a big unknown. Um, final scene of the episode, Katie, is one of the maesters coming to Rhaenyra in her quarters with moon tea from the king. It will rid you of any unwanted consequences. Um yeah. Way harsh. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But also practical. Uh, you know, not not a bad decision uh, at this point. I don't think she wants to have Sir Kristen's baby.
1: No. But I think it to me it 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 strikes me as despite the fact that Rhaenyra and Viserys walked away from this most recent conversation somewhat at least on the same page, they're both kind of like going off to do what the other wants of them, right? She mm-hmm. says, okay, I'll marry your pick. You have to fire your hand. He says, okay, done deal. Um, that I think that this this signals to me still some level of mistrust that the conversation, yes. that he's not, he's not fully believing Alicent's belief in Rhaenyra, um, taking yes. no chances in this moment. I think that that's really important as a thematic takeaway.
0: Yeah, I mean, he doesn't know about Sir Kristen. So, you know, presumably this is him saying, like, we're not having this full Targaryen blood baby right now. Right. Not happening. Not happening. Um. Yeah. It's a show, Like you keep saying, Viserys, he he pays attention enough to get some things right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's he's yeah. He's reading the synopses at the very least, but he's maybe <laughs> uh, skipping the actual episodes. Uh, so I'm not sure. Um, he's but, listening
0: to the podcast. He's li-
1: <laughs> yeah, like, I watched Game of Thrones. I think my life is fine. I don't need to see it again. But I am curious as to what's you happening. You just Rose. tell me what's going on. Yeah. I'll just listen. I'll just listen. Well, that's it, I think, for this episode of House of the Dragon and still watching as a result. Episode four in the books, Katie. Four weeks of House of the Dragon down. Next week, we're hitting the halfway point already.
0: Wow. I'm having such a good time. And, like, honestly, talking about this with you makes me enjoy the show even more. Like, I think it certainly has its ups and downs. It's not always the lightest viewing. But like I said in the beginning, like, I think the character focus of this really made me feel invested in all these people more than I have been so far.
1: It's been a really exciting time to kind of see people get excited about this world again uh, and, you know, Mm -hmm. get like grossed out and repulsed for all the right reasons. And, you know, what does become the subject of just incredible Internet scrutiny has been very fun for me as an onlooker. And also, (laughs) I'm really loving living with the sense of dread of waiting to see how the, the, the royal you are going to react to some of the things that the royal creators of this show have up their sleeve. Uh, it's fun. It's a fun time on TV right now, for sure. Uh, and well, I'm, I'm so that glad they, that you enjoyed it.
0: Given that they got rid of Mushroom, like, are you having increasing faith in the creators of the show for taking the good stuff from the book and maybe ditching what you didn't want to see?
1: I am happy with most of the adaptation choices like i'm I'm pretty happy with most of the the zigging where they could have zagged uh, according to according to the text. Uh, I think I'm good to not see mushroom I think is is a is a, <laughs> is, a is a good fine choice. Um, I think that some of the it's interesting because I think that there's been a lot of different takes on the pacing of the show. Like, we're we're blitzing through the years here. Uh, you know, four years have passed over the course of four episodes. is just a, a huge swath of time. And yet, I think that there are also thoughts. There's a school of thought that the show is a little slower. I think, you know, once again, mm-hmm. to give voice to what Jason had written in uh, for this week's podcast. Um, so, it's a little bit of... I, I think that there's still a degree to which... A show of the size of House of the Dragon in a Game of Thrones franchise with just that level of pedigree behind it. It's a little like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um, it's a hard book to adapt. They have adapted like three pages of the book so far at this point. They're going through it and really picking things out. But I, I really like the the eye that Ryan Condal and Miguel Sapochnik, in in coordination with George R. R. Martin, is a really close collaborator on this. Um, like what they're cherry picking and what they're choosing to to bring from the text and and put on screen. That moment at the beginning of the episode, the joust between uh you know the joust in quotes. It's a it's a full on death match between these two yeah. people fighting over Rainier. It's it's such an aside in the book. So there there have been a few of those. The entirety of this long night through King's Landing is an aside in the book. Um, I'm I'm really I'm really uh, it makes me want to reread it in a different way. You know, when I when I went back in the lead up for this show, I was reading it really closely to like get the plot. Um, now mm-hmm. I kind of want to go back and comb through and are, what are the, like the little nuggets uh, that the creators are really latching onto that they feel like this is going to be a big scene if we can blow this out. So, yeah, yeah I'm happy with it, Katie. I'm, I'm really happy with the adaptation so far.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad it feels like it's pleasing people like me who know, um, you know, not nothing, but not a lot uh, yeah. and people who know everything. So that's about as ideal as you can get.
1: I have a question for the book readers out there. Are you enjoying the adaptation? Uh, was this a good episode for, for you? Because I think that the Kristen Cole of it all and Damon and Rhaenyra, this was highly anticipated stuff. Did it land for you if you read the book? If you haven't read the book, how did it land for you? We want to know. Still watching pod at gmail.com. You can send your feedback in. We'll get to it on the next podcast here on House of the Dragon. Episode five is what's coming next. That one is titled... We light the way. Uh, The way to what uh, is my question. We shall find out in one week's time. Katie, where can people find you? What do you got going on?
0: Uh, Well, you can find me singing the song We Know the Way from Moana, which is Uh what popped into my head when you um, (laughs) listed the name of next week's episode. We'll see how similar they wind up being. Um, You can find me uh, at Vanity Fair on the Little Gold Men podcast where we're in the throes of Emmy and festival season. There's a lot going on. And I'm on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H.
1: Amazing. I'm at Rand Howard on Twitter. I am writing recaps and more for VF.com here on the House of the Dragon beat. So make sure that you're checking all of that out and make sure you're back for the podcast next week with our episode five recap. Of course, special shout out to our man behind the scenes, Dave Gonzalez, for editing this podcast. We appreciate all of the incredible work that Dave is doing making this podcast possible. Until next time, everybody, take care. Bye-bye.